1: Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome to the London Review Bookshop Podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Dante event. Um, I'll introduce all of us quite quickly. So I myself am a translator from Russian, Robert Chandler. I learned Italian when I was about 20 precisely in order to read Dante and um, so I've known Dante about 45 years and David about 40 years. And um, I've been following David's translation over the last few years, been reading it canto by canto as he's read it. Um, Dante himself was born in 1265 and he died 700 years ago on the 14th of September, 1321. That's part of the reason for this date. Um, A few, very few facts about his life. Um, His mother died before he was 10. He met Beatrice, his muse, at the age of nine, and claims to have fallen in love with her at first sight um he was involved with Florentine politics and he ended up being exiled so he spent a long time in exile and um he wrote his divine comedy in exile um three parts to it so it's a a journey down to the depths of hell through purgatory where um repenters were the sinners repent from their sins and are eventually freed and able to ascend and eventually go up to paradise which is the last part. Um, So, Giovanna is a psychoanalyst. She's written about Dante. Um, David is a poet and a psychoanalyst and also with a background in philosophy um, david and giovanna and david's wife and someone else have all been part of a little reading group um reading dante in italian during the last few years um, and giovanna has also written an article about identity um which is to be published uh, identity in dante which is to be published in a book about identity and she writes very well about dante's total loss of identity during this kind of crisis when which is obviously partly to do with him being exiled but that isn't that may only be a very much a part of it but in any case a kind of total loss of identity a loss of his poetic identity a loss of his moral identity and of his political identity and she writes very well about how gradually he recovers um, all three of those identities in the course of the Divine Comedy. Um, So, Giovanna, um, you've written very movingly about um, what it meant to you, this translation, this new translation of the purgatory, so would you like to just read that page that you've written?
3: Yes, thank you very much, Robert. Um, it is a privilege for me to be part of this event. With David, Juliet Newbegin and Matt Hoffman, we have read the Purgatorio alongside David's translation. And I found that my instinctive reluctance towards any translation of Dante faded as David's painstaking work helped me to appreciate the depth of Dante's thinking. David's translation of Purgatory is a gift to the English-speaking readership, and even to those who, like me, tread between two cultures, two languages. It was fascinating to observe how enriching it is to tolerate the difficult and at times frustrating path in between two cultures two languages as different aspects are noticed, compared and shared. This fosters a complex, never easy work of integration between people from different cultural background. Furthermore, David keeps firmly in mind with Dante, the poet, Dante, the philosopher and the politician. These aspects of Dante are of great interest to him and this is interesting as sometimes these aspects are kept in separate compartments if kept together as David aimed at the comedy never ceases to marvel us and it is truly amazing that in this occasion of the 700th anniversary Dante is rediscovered as an incredibly modern thinker by many scholars and writers there is no doubt that, as with all great poetry, when Dante's canto is lyrical and sublime, is untranslatable. However, when Dante's desire for reasoning, learning, and teaching takes priority, such as in several parts of Purgatory, or even more so in Paradise, I found every translation truly original and poetic. I think that it is the extraordinary beauty of Dante's poetry and the depth of his knowledge of the human mind and its potential for psychic development that makes the comedy truly divine and of great interest to psychoanalysts. Boccaccio, having read La Commedia, added the adjective divine to Dante's chosen title. And it is incredible that the adjective, that adjective divine, has remained. And since then, we call Dante's masterpiece La Divina Commedia. David's impressive work expresses his love for what Jorge Luis Borges defined as the best book literature has ever achieved. David's desire to follow Dante step by step as he climbs the mountain of purgatory. Is truly commendable. David's commentary and translation enrich the reading of Purgatory, combining his own original personal thoughts while simultaneously mindful of wanting to remain as close as possible to Dante's extraordinary mind. I am sure that the book, with its fine editing, will motivate and facilitate readers to enjoy the original poetry before grasping the meaning or to enjoy the translation before tackling the original, shifting attention from the right page of his book to the left one, and vice versa. Lastly, I want to add the obvious, but it can be easily taken for granted. David's translation is not only about finding the meaning, it is the result of a lengthy process of comprehension and digestion of the original text with what it really evoked in him as the reader. Thank you, David, for your amazing work.
0: Thank you. For Thank that. you, Giovanna. Um, I want to just pick up on two little things there. Um, firstly, the mention of Borges. Um, it is quite extraordinary the number of really the very greatest poets of the last century. Who um, to whom Dante has been enormously important, though so Pound, Eliot, Borges, Beckett, Joyce, Montale, the Russian poet Sakharov and Mandelstam, the Armenian poet Charinç, all of them absolutely revered Dante. And the other word, um, Giovanni used the word development. Um, people, there always had been more people, readers for the Inferno because of a few of the dramatic anthology pieces in the Inferno. Um, but it is the purgatory where people actually develop, it's the purgatory is where people change. Um, in hell, everyone is fixed in their despair. In paradise, they're fixed in their bliss. And um, in purgatory, they're changing. And um, that's what makes quite a lot of people actually think that the purgatory is the most satisfying whole more than the inferno or the paradiso and of course it's that development that sense of people developing and struggling with their inner conflicts that um, is a large part of what makes the purgatory especially interesting to psychoanalysts so um, David um, something I haven't actually ever asked you before is when did you first read dante and um, what was the very first sort of moment the first part of dante that um, really really sort of made an impact on you um
2: uh, before i start asking answering that question I, w- I would just like to thank you both robert and giovanna for your introductions and um Giovanna a very handsome description of the translation which I hope it deserves Um, when did I first get interested Um, I'm really not sure what the answer to that is I think I've always been you know as long as I can remember which is um, quite a long time now um, I've I think always been rather haunted by the thought of this Italian poet who um throughout his career um was trying to understand ever more deeply what his feelings for this girl um Beatrice Portinari what his feelings really meant um and he wasn't content to as it were make some simple explanation of them he he knew that there was something there that was of simply enormous importance so i think i've had a sense of that for you know as long as i can remember in my adult life and in a number of poems of my own i've i've made sort of glancing references to dante going back certainly till the uh, 1980s um but what kindled it Um, specifically um, more recently was that a friend of mine who actually has been mentioned already by giovanna um, matt hoffman um suddenly suggested to me i don't know why he suggested it um he suggested that i might be interested in going to the warburg institute to hear lectures that were being given on dante by two well-known dante scholars alessandro Scaffi and john took um, and that must have been something like nine or ten years ago i think now and i i went along to them and was immediately more deeply interested um, and engaged by what i was i was discovering and it was soon after that Um, I think it was about 1913, uh, sorry, 2013, 2014, um, I started thinking that there's something about the energy of Dante's writing, which is very extraordinary and very unlike anything in English language poetry that I was aware of. Um, a, um, a, A continual movement of the thinking mind He would be describing something which might be in inferno certainly might be grotesque or horrible um, or it might be funny or it might be a bit tedious but his mind was always at work asking himself the question what's going on now what what does this mean what what exactly is it um so i think that was the thing that intrigued me and i found when i just read the canto um, i moved too quickly i needed to go slowly and discover what was going on in the individual uses of his language so to speak um, and so i started translating one or two cantos from purgatorio and one or two from paradiso in an attempt just to discover what was going on more accurately so to speak
0: I'll just say at that point that um, a friend and colleague with whom I've often collaborated, a uh, um, Russian-American woman, Professor Olga Mayerson, um she is primarily a scholar, but she has done some, and um, she describes herself as a literary theorist, but she has done some translation and um, on her own and some with me, and um, she very much She very often repeats that um, the unique thing about translation is that it forces you to think about every sentence of the original. Whereas if you're a scholar or a critic or a literary historian, you can pick and choose. You can write about the bits that you immediately feel comfortable with or find easy to understand. And you you just don't sort of think about some awkward bits or um, bits that just don't immediately Mean a lot to you. And um, as a translator, you have to deal with everything. And quite often you will find that bits that initially didn't initially mean very much to you um, suddenly do become very important. Um, So I absolutely understand that. And any kind of any activity that really sort of forces you to do something, you know, whether it's directing a play or acting in a play or setting a playing to music. Um, translating it into another language, anything like that, it sort of obviously brings you into much, much more meaningful relationship with the original work. Mm. Um, the question that's just been asked um, is um, whether you're about Terza um Dante's intricate um, rhyming pattern. Um, And whether or not you'd like to say anything about um, translations, other translations which have or haven't used it, whether you ever considered using it,
2: and so on. Um, I really never considered, I mean, obviously the thought crossed my mind, but I never seriously considered using it myself. Partly for the reason I was just pointing to, that I think the movement of the thought in Dante is so um, careful and so illful that that was what I wanted to follow. And to try to bring in rhyme um, I think would have been an immense distraction. And and rhymes are anyway scarcer in English than they are in Italian. Um, People sometimes say it's rather easy to find rhymes in Italian. I'm not sure if that's actually true, but I think it's certainly easier than it is in in English. Um, But also, one of my difficulties in answering this question is that I've avoided looking at verse translations of um, Purgatorio over the last few years, because I didn't want to be excessively influenced by other people. I have used prose translations extensively and found them very helpful, but I didn't want to read verse translations. But I have looked at um, the Dorothy Sayers translation, which does indeed um, use terza rima in English. Um, And I I thought very highly of it, actually. It's got a lot of old-fashioned poetic diction, sort of me-seems and so forth in it um so it 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 reads like you know poetic poetry um of the sort that nobody now wants to read probably but it's actually a pretty good translation and she she was very a very intelligent reader of of dante she got she gets a lot of his meaning in in spite of using the terza rima so i think that's the that's the only one i would care to comment on
0: Yes, I mean, um, I totally disagree with you there. I can't stand reading the Dorothy there. I find it a not to her intelligence as a reader, but um, I do feel the rhymes pull her off course mm-hmm. all the time. Um, but with regard to your own translation, I think it is worth pointing out that um, you clearly do um, you do see each. Three-line unit. Each tercet, as a kind of a structural unit of Dante's thinking, and even though you don't actually keep the the rhymes, um, you do very much you know, in in your translation. The three the sense of the three-line units you know, is mm. present. Yes,
2: it's, it's, I tried to keep the sense the sense, of sense.
0: sense. Sorry, that's a part of the sort of step-by-step movement of of mm. the thing.
2: Yes, I tried to keep the the, the Tercet as, as a unit, and to, to quite an extent to keep the individual line as a unit, because I think the actual sequence in which Dante introduces his thought or his imagery um, often has a power which one loses if one um, takes it back into perhaps a more natural English sentence. Though sometimes, um, I was working with something that was that feels quite sort of tense to me to match the movement of Dante's, the sequence of Dante's thought. I remember um, Eliot, T. S. Eliot um writes a passage in Four Quartets, um, which is a sort of imitation of of Dante. It's the passage where he describes being a fire warden in London after the after a bombing raid, a very, very skillful passage. He said it was the most difficult thing he had ever written. Um, and, and he uses, he doesn't use terza rima, but he does alternate um, iambic pentameters with feminine endings, that's to say with one additional unstressed syllable at the end of the line, with iambic pentameters without feminine endings um and that's a very skillful compromise it seems to me between the struggle to find rhyme which is too difficult um but nevertheless keeping something of the alternating ri- uh alternating line quality that, that absolutely yes yes. Mm-hmm. Um, something i'd like to
0: ask myself is um dante has two guides on his journey so um Virgil guides him down through hell and up through all the terraces of purgatory um up to the earthly paradise which is on the very top of Mount Purgatory and at that point Beatrice appears and um Virgil very suddenly to Dante's dismay disappears, and um, Beatrice guides him, questions him rather severely in the earthly paradise, and then guides him um, up through the different spheres of the paradise. And why these two guides, and what is you know what does what does each of them? What is the role of each of them? How do they differ? Why why did Dante need two? different guides
2: Mm. it's a it's a very good question and it's a huge question um i think um but it's certainly a, a very very um crucial point about um what dante is is doing um i think one of the things i mean giovanna mentioned that um dante's comedy as he always called it um has got this um adjective added to it by boccaccio divine comedy and i think so, people sometimes think of the the comedy as divine as almost as if it's kind of holy writ um, but in fact it, it's it's twofold um, eric auerbach described dante as poet of the secular world which i think is also wrong um, but Dante actually keeps an most extraordinary balance between the secular world, the ordinary world, and the world of religion. Um, and again, Dan, um, Giovanna mentioned um, the, the way he, it's easy to compartmentalize Dante and talk about him as, as if, you know, he's getting revenge on his political enemies. Or he's only really interested in Christian salvation but really he is very very interested in the fullness of of life um, and so I think um, I, I mean the language I've used when I've been writing about um, Dante is that the two guides represent two ethical levels and um, the represents um the whole classical world the world of classical thought which was just coming or aristotle's thought was just coming into the awareness of christian theologians in the 12th and 13th centuries um it was translated fascinating story it was translated it had been translated into arabic preserved by muslim scholars and in the 12th century it was translated a lot of it out of arabic into latin and became accessible to to western thinkers again
0: is aristotle aristotle Aristotle. yeah
2: and and that kind of classical philosophy um made a huge impact on serious christian theologians albertus magnus and um Thomas Aquinas in in particular, and and then on on Dante. And so one way of thinking of Virgil and Beatrice is that Virgil represents the wisdom of the classical world, which Dante greatly respected and saw as having all kinds of practical knowledge about how one should behave. Um, And Beatrice represents the wisdom that is derived from the Christian revelation and dante never doubts that that is a higher thing than the, the classical um world's knowledge and it's beatrice who sends virgil to dante's rescue and virgil's entire project is to bring dante back up purgatory to remeet beatrice so he he never doubts the primacy so to speak of of beatrice but he is Absolutely persuaded, and he says very clearly in the comedy, and he also says it in his uh, prose work de Monarchia*. he says very clearly that we need two sons s-u-n-s s two sons to illuminate the path of of life, both the practical wisdom that Aristotle represents which which results in virtues like um, drus- justice and truth telling and friendship and all sorts of excellent things. Um, But also the other level that Beatrice represents, which is what he would call divine love. Um, And what I've tended to um, suggest in things I've tried to write about Dante um, is the love of being rather than the love of doing. the love of somebody for their being, which creates, um, I I I suppose a a psychoanalyst would would talk about it as maternal love, the the sort of love we like to think mothers have for their babies and small children, where they just love them for their being, whatever they do. Um, And this is an enormously important um, component of psychic health, um, as I think we in in the psychoanalytic world are very aware, and perhaps increasingly aware as as time continues. Sorry, I'm talking too much. Giovanna, I feel I feel you should come in. And...
0: Well, I think it's actually a, a good point, um, since we're talking about the shift from the from one guide to the other, and that you should both read. So. Um, would you like to read the passage from um, from the, the very top of Mount Purgatory, David, and then Giovanna will read it in Italian
2: after you. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, just to tell the audience, we we agreed in advance that we would read a a, a chunk of the actual poem. Um, and it's the moment, um, as Robert says, at the at the summit of, well, at, at the top of the terraces, the moment when Dante and Virgil have emerged from the final terrace, um, and all sins are now repented, so to speak. Um, they have slept, and Dante has had a, a dream. Um, and whenever Dante has a dream in purgatory, you know that he's going to wake up in a new um, moral world, so to speak, a, a new or new psychological world. Um, so he's had a dream, um, and a new phase of the story is about to begin. And they approach the final stairway, and Virgil tells Dante that today will bring peace to all your yearnings, and Dante is enormously pleased to hear this. So they get onto the stairway so much my longings piled upon each other to be above that at each step i felt my wings grow stronger on me for the flight when the whole stairway had been quickly put beneath us and we'd reached the topmost step my teacher virgil fixed his eyes on mine and said My son, you've seen now both the temporal and the eternal fires, and you have reached where I myself can now discern no further. I have brought you here by thoughtfulness and skill. Henceforth let your own pleasure be your guide. You have come beyond the steep and rocky pathways. Now see the sun that shines upon your forehead. Now see the grass, the flowers, and the trees that Earth here brings forth solely from herself. Until those lovely eyes come and are joyful, this is Beatrice's eyes, until those lovely eyes come and are joyful, whose weeping caused me first to visit you, you may sit down or walk about among them. No longer look to me for word or signal your will is straight now vigorous and free it would be sin to act against its wisdom you over yourself i therefore crown and mitre
0: thank you very much david um, i was delighted when the two of you chose that passage because it is one of my favorite passages and one that i when I know by heart and often repeat to myself. Though so Giovanna, I'd love to hear it in Italian, too, and the audience wants to hear that as well. So please read yourself.
3: Thank you. Tanto voler voler mi venne dell'esser su che ad ogni passo poi al volo mi sentia crescer le penne. Come la scala tutta sotto noi fu corsa E fummo in sul grado superno, in me ficcò Virgilio gli occhi suoi, e disse: il temporal fuoco e l'eterno veduto hai figlio, e se venuto in parte dovio per me più oltre non discerno. Tratto qui con ingegno e con arte, lo tuo piacere ormai prendi per duce. Forse le lerte vie, forse le l'arte. Vedi lo sol che in fronte ti riluce, vedi le erbette, i fiori e gli arbiuscelli che qui la terra sol da sé produce. Mentre che vegna lieti gli occhi belli, che lagrimando a te venirmi fenno, sederti puoi e poi andar tra elli. Non aspettare mio dir più, né mio cenno. Libero, dritto e sano è tuo arbitrio, E farlo fora, non fare a suo senno. Per pio, te sovra te, corono Edmitrio.
2: Thank
0: you very much indeed. Thank you. Um, really, I felt very strongly listening to that. How um, at the same time as all that David has said about the movement and structure of Dante's thought, um, but also how how vividly the sense of a speaking voice is present in the verse and um, even, uh, even with all the um, the complex the complexity of the form and the you know the time gap of seven hundred years, then um, you really can hear the intonations of a living voice and they're not just being sort of superimposed by Javana, they really do come from the words
1: themselves. at com, code buttery exclusions apply see site for details
0: so um perhaps i'll ask a uh, um a question that josh reed asked a little while ago um david why did you choose the Purgatorium? When so many translators start with the Inferno, I think Merwin is the only other translator to only do the Purgatorio.
2: Though David, no, well, that's very interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of that. Whether anybody else had only done the Purgatorio, but the reason I. The reason I chose it is what I think Robert and Giovanna probably both pointed to—that um, it is the most psychological of the three um, canticles. Um, it's 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 the only one in which psychic conflict is the primary player, so to speak, um, and of course. Dante puts it in a a sort of Christian language, that it's about repentance. But when you look into what is actually going on on each of the terraces of purgatory, um, and each of them has the label of a rather simple-sounding sin, pride, envy, wrath, whatever. Um, But when you look into them, you discover that actually these are very complex motives. And Dante is well aware that there are um, elements to do with pride and elements to do with wrath. Envy is perhaps the most questionable of them, but elements to do with all these different so-called sins, which are, in fact, very positive and part of living a full and adequate life. And so there is a lot of psychological discussion, both um, on the surface of the poem and also um, implicit within the poem. Um, so all that really grabbed my attention. So that's my reason for choosing Purgatorio and not starting with Inferno.
0: Um and something I've said myself a few times um with regard to David's work is um that a great many psychoanalysts they kind of use their psychoanalytic understanding um in order to supposedly tell us about you know tell us a sort of inside story about the writer himself, and this can be rather irritating and condescending and um what's very valuable about david's commentary, which i, uh, I do think is quite remarkable his afterward is that he's using his Psychological knowledge to understand the work better, not to read back into Dante's psyche, but to understand better what Dante has written. Um, a very simple question.
2: Think, could, could could I just um, respond to that, though, Robert? Because I think in order to understand the work, one do, does actually need to look look into Dante's biography. A bit, so I I do bring Dante the person into into my account quite quite a lot, I think.
0: Sure, sure, but um, you're not in the kind of superior position of an analyst, um, sort of telling us what the real reason for somebody writing something is. Um, and um. A simple question, which I've been asked, come up twice. Um, wh- wh- which um which canto is it that the two of you read from? Is it canto twi- sort of what what number canto is it? 27. 27, twenty-seven. twenty-seven. Yes. Towards the end of canto twenty-seven. Okay.
3: Perhaps um, one to say that is a, a prelude. It's a wonderful prelude to. Virgil disappearance, and yes. I think it's such an interesting way of preparing Dante for the disappearance, but actually you can never prepare anyone for your disappearance, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's so moving, and it's such a, it gives you such an idea of Virgil as a full person, it's incredible. I think we get so fond of Virgil in his maternal and paternal attitude towards Dante, both through um, Hell and through and, and through Purgatory, that we, some people, actually burst to tears when he actually disappears. And it is true; you begin to know the person, the full person of this guide, <laughs> in a way which is exceptional, really. Hmm. We can also say that it is Dante hmm. saying goodbye to Virgil, and say he has done his job, and now I have to move on. It's there's also a special
2: poignancy that, but yes. Virgil, classical figure living before Christ, has no hope of of going to paradise. His 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 fate is to go back to limbo.
3: But I think it's a uh, I I don't read it as literally as you do, actually. I think more that Dante got from him what he could, you know. And now he has to move on into Christianity because he had already paid a great deal of tribute to classical culture in a way. And I think he wants to move on to the founders of the church and all the rest of it in paradise. So, I would think that the hopeless um, Virgil that he can never reach, you know, I I think, I accept that, but I never actually quite sympathised with it.
0: (laughs) You you never sympathised with...
3: With the idea that, that basically, of looking at Virgil as somebody who is barred from reaching the height of paradise. I, I, I mean, I accept that, but I would take another interpretation of it somehow. Uh-huh. It's standing for classical culture, from which Dante learned an awful lot. And I think that, again, as well as with um, Christianity, but somehow the, the use of mythology, the use of Virgil's mind, I think it's so interestingly united to the other, (laughs) you you know, to to, to, to the journey to come. And I think it's it's lovely, but also because Purgatory is about loss. I mean, let's not be mistaken, there is loss in paradise too. But that Mm -hmm. is another huge chapter. But I think that what is interesting in Purgatory is that it feels real to us because there is loss as opposed to the eternity of joining and fusion with evil or the joining and fusion with goodness in paradise so that's why purgatory feels so real to us because there is there is loss there is awareness of the passage of time there is You know, sadness and nostalgia, even. (laughs) Wow.
2: Yes, enormously. I mean, loss and conflict. Um, Yeah. And I I think an enormous sadness when he meets Beatrice and he realizes how much of his life has been spoiled by his, what he describes as his infidelity to Beatrice. But I I think there are many ways of, of thinking about that. but there's there's a a dreadful sadness um, when he encounters Beatrice initially. Very, very psychologically subtle um,
3: Mm.
2: change when when the two of them meet.
3: Yeah.
0: And very, very unexpected, because it's a sort of long-awaited meeting (laughs) that should be a moment of amazing joy, and actually it's deeply painful.
3: But again that is very psychologically meaningful because Olby yes. also told us what happens when children are separated from the parents and they are reunited. There is always something very, very difficult to cope with mm-hmm. and a great deal of resentment and anger. Yes. Which has to go to, to get through and negotiated. As it happens, Dante, you know, yeah. in that particular passage, yeah.
0: Um, thank you. Um, another question from John Jeeve or Give. Um, are you going to translate the other parts, David? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, well, thank you for the idea. Um curiously enough i've never felt any impulse to translate inferno apart from perhaps the first few cantos of it um paradiso i'm i'm sort of holding my response to at the moment i'm 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 not sure um i'm very fascinated by by paradiso as well but for the moment i i feel i'm resting on purgatoria
0: And there's been a question from Nicola Liu about the sin of pride, and um, is it the most terrible in the comedy?
2: Is pride a two-edged sword for Dante? Well, that's a very, a very interesting question. Um, it is the fundamental sin um, in dante's picture of sins Um, it's the it's the lowest of the seven terraces um, and the importance of humility the opposite of pride is emphasized right throughout um, purgatory right at the very beginning when dante is girdled with a a reed um, and we are given a picture of these rushes that grow in the soft mud bowing to every wind you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't have a, a stronger plant growing there because it's it's necessary to bow with every wind um which is a symbol of humility and a symbol of the willingness to learn which is what i think the terraces of purgatory are primarily about they are they represent a kind of training process um, but uh, whether it's a two-edged sword is, I think, a very interesting question. Because when Dante is talking about um, pride with Odorisi, the um, manuscript illuminator who he he meets um, on that that terrace, um, he discusses um, Giotto, his contemporary Giotto, and um, Chimabue, who was... A bit, a bit earlier and he talks about how um, the fame of these different artists um, has um, eclipsed each other um, and then he quite surprisingly refers to someone who may be about to eclipse the existing poets and he is of course referring to to himself um, but it seems to me he's implying the ambiguity of pride because pride is regarded as a sin in the christian tradition and rightly so and so much of what we tend to call narcissism um is covered in fact by that notion of pride but actually self-respect is a very very important thing and nobody would ever undertake the sorts of works that giotto did and the sort of work that dante is doing in front of us writing the comedy um unless they had pretty good self-respect and recognition of their own talent and and ability so two-edged sword yes i think i think it is a two-edged sword but then perhaps all these sins are two-edged swords
3: yeah can can i say something to what you are just saying now david because in italian eh, superbia pride has got exactly what you are talking about a good positive connotation and not a very good one, but superbia in Italian is uh, arrogance it's uh, um, feeling superior to everybody else
0: mm.
3: so its uh, it has got a different connotation compared to the um, the word pride and you quite correctly say mm. there is a very important aspect of pride which has to do to value something that you have in yourself, and not to despise it mm. or disregard it. But superbia, I think, is, is is closer to what we are talking about when we talk about the sins. We talk
2: about arrogance,
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And there's a kind of paradox here with regard to the work of a translator, because on the one hand, um, if you're translating anything, at all difficult yes Um, absolutely have to be humble and be ready to ask questions because there's going to be so many things in this case medieval theology or god knows what you know thousands of subjects that you can't possibly be an expert on all these subjects yourself and as a translator one can always sort of kid oneself that one's brought the meaning through and. Actually, the meaning isn't clear to anyone else. So, um, humility is absolutely crucial in the work of a translator. And yet, at the same time, God, you know, how arrogant must one be to imagine that one can recreate Pushkin or Dante yes. <laughs> in another language? So, you do have to have um, an extraordinary degree of nerve on the one hand and of mm. humility at the same time and you know translators who um, lack one of those inevitably are going to fail you know there are some translators who think they do know everything and don't ask any questions and that's a disaster or you know the alternative is sort of the opposite is oh well you know this is just you know one well, there's always going to be lost in translation and this is only, you know, only a translation and so on and they don't aim high enough in the first place, and the other result isn't very interesting.
2: Um, so I could make a comment to the audience at this point that Robert, who has just spoken, um, knows what he's talking about because he's the translator of Vasily Grossman's Life and Fate and Stalingrad, two gigantic projects. Thank you, David. Um, and. Um, a
0: related question that Neil Morgan asked a long time ago. Um what do you think the relationship is between being a translator of Dante's language and being a psychoanalyst, a translator of a person?
2: Well again a very a very interesting question. Um I I think Dante's allegory, um, and I wouldn't necessarily say this about anyone else's allegory, but allegory in Dante's hand um, seems to me a most extraordinary instrument. Um, and I find myself thinking of it. You know, Freud uses the, the phrase, the language of dreams. Um, and I think there's a spontaneous way in which the psyche communicates with itself which we meet in dreams and occasionally we meet in spontaneous metaphors and so forth when we're speaking um, and Dante in his allegory seems to have found a way to to make a conscious use of that language of dream um, so it's a very different sort of thing a very different sort of language from the kind of objective language in which psychoanalysts talk about the psyche. Um, And yet it manages to convey, uh, perhaps even more appropriately sometimes than that objective language, it manages to convey the sort of things we are trying to get at and detect and put into words as psychoanalysts. So I think there really is a, a very interesting Correlation between the, the sort of translating one is doing when one's working with Dante, and and the work of an analyst. There's uh, um, another question
0: that was asked um, quite early on this evening, which um, probably links to that. Um, I've read Professor Black's commentary and appreciate his psychoanalytic reading of Purgatorio, making the unconscious conscious. But I wonder whether at least this part of the poem might also commemorate the journey from literal to metaphoric thought, and thus the birth of a poet. Quite a complex question, which um, yes. I've been able to give a quick answer to, but it's a very interesting,
2: <laughs> yes, very very interesting question. Um, and I, I, I didn't quite follow it there because it seems to suggest that literal thought precedes metaphorical thought, and my my intuition goes the other way. But um, did, did, I, did I misunderstand it?
0: no no you didn't misunderstand it uh, that is um so that's that is your answer really right? yes yes the metaphoric thought comes
2: first i i think we've lost an awful lot um the, um Freud was fond of describing himself as an enlightenment thinker but i think we lost an awful lot with the enlightenment and with the gradual move towards so-called rationality and scientific thought not in not in any way to disparage those but that there was a a huge resource in the more spontaneous um, metaphorical thought which in the past has given birth to religions Um, there's an enormous discussion to be had about what has happened to to language since the days when um, the religions arose, the so-called axial era before, before the time of Christ, um, and the, the movement on. Um, sorry, it's, it's, I mean, this is just such a gigantic topic. I'm not sure that I can get into it in two or three sentences. Um, but there was a big change. I mean, it, it was even happening in Dante's lifetime. Apparently, by the by the end of his life his work was already beginning to seem old-fashioned, because there was a new current flowing in theology, primarily, which was wanting to push the classical and the Aristotelian influence out of it again, and to declare that you, you, couldn't, um, you couldn't know anything um, about God and religious reality from looking at nature this is absolutely not dante's picture and it's not aquinas's picture i mean thomas aquinas famously says um what is it grace does not contradict nature it perfects it um a very different picture from the sort of life denying and life rejecting puritanical forms of christianity that tended to develop later um and then of course we have science and all that Anyway, my, my answer really would be that I think the the metaphorical and feelingful use of language precedes the the literal. Mm-hmm. Thank you for
0: that. Um, we should be drawing to an end very soon. Um, is there any um, last thing you would like to say, David, about sort of what what you've learned from from the. Exp- with several, what is it, about sort of four or five, three or four or five years that you've been working on the purgatory? What is, has what is that given you as a person?
2: I think the great thing that I feel has moved on, so to speak, in my, my own thought is this sense of um, that if one's going to talk about ethics seriously and, you know, with climate change, populism, you know, there are so many um, troubling things in the modern world, which have to do with the reckless misuse of resources, etc. Um, So, if one's going to take ethics seriously, and there's an enormous need to take it seriously um, today, um, then this idea of two levels of values um is 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 actually something extremely important. Um, and and so Dante has a quite unexpected relevance to where we are at, at the moment. And I think when you mentioned, Robert, that so many modernist writers, so many of the greatest modernist writers, the most serious thinkers, esteem Dante enormously, I think it was because they intuited that he has got something which modern rationality has tended to lose neoliberalism has tended to lose um anyway so that's that's where i go with it um, i feel it's very relevant to our predicament at the moment
0: just um picking up on your reference to modernist writers um as i said it's um 700 years since dante's death um in 1965 700 years after his birth Anna Akhmatova gave her um with her last public performance she died a year later um she was a sort of no no long <coughs> she was an accepted figure by then she was no longer a persona known grata and um she took part in a big official celebration of 700 years since Dante's birth at the Bolshoi Theatre in Moscow. And um, in her preparatory notes for this talk, in her preparatory notes, um, she wrote that people sometimes ask me, what do I and my two fellow Acmeist poets Nikolai Gumilyov, who had been shot by the Soviet regime in 1921, I think, and Osip Mandelstam, who died in a labour camp in the late 30s. Um, what do the three of us have in common? Because um, they are very different poets. And um, her her answer to that was a love for Dante. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that terribly, very, very moving. It is an extraordinary mm-hmm. suggestion of loyalty, both to these two, Figures who've been dead for many decades, um, a gesture of loyalty to them, and uh, um, a loyalty to Dante himself, and um, perhaps for some of the reasons that you've just suggested. and um, seems nice on this um, on this occasion of remembering the anniversary of Dante's death, to um, also bring in this other occasion of the anniversary of his birth um, so i think probably we should um we should finish there so um thank you very very much both of you it's been very very interesting one always sort of thinks that well, it's always surprising how much how many new things can come up in these conversations mm. well thank talks. you very much uh,
2: as well mm.
3: Thank you
0: both and um, thank you to everyone at the bookshop who I can't at present be on screen but um, thank you Claire and Tom for arranging all this and um, thank you to everyone whom I can't see, 117 attendees Um, and you will I believe get a link tomorrow, all of you, um, you which will enable you to listen to this again should you do wish. Um, so um, goodbye and thank you to everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.